how we thank you, how we bless your name. Hear us, Father God, today as we cry out to you. Bless us, Father God, if it pleases you to use this bag of dust that the word of truth may be proclaimed. God, use us today. Hide us in your love. Wrap us in your grace. Speak to us, Master. Let not this servant do any harm or danger to the text, but let me speak clear, true, and free. God, we love you. We love you because you are who you say you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And you're worthy of praise. God, we thank you. Thank you for the men that have fathered children and stayed through the ups and the downs to raise their sons and daughters to be like thee. God, we thank you. Thank you for what our eyes have seen, our heart have felt. Thank you for this choir that labored today under the rest, but they gave your name glory and honor. We thank you, Master, for the privilege of calling your name. And God, we must confess today that we stand right now with no less desire than we did the last time we stood, that men, women, boys, and girls would come to you, fall out with their sinful and evil and wicked ways, that those that know you would come and say, I need a place to lay my head and rest. God, we love you. So, Master, I ask you to let the very words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be so acceptable in thy sight. For, Lord God, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And as always, Master, my testimony is simply this. My Redeemer does live, for he lives in me. Bless now. Bless now, Lord. In my prayers, Master, that thou would open down my eyes, that I would be able to withhold all the wonderful things out of thy law. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. Uh, for those of you who have not had an opportunity to say Happy Father's Day to, I want to take the privilege of saying that to you now and want you to know that we are blessed by your presence. God is just truly, truly, truly blessing us with strength, with power, and grace. For those of you who were here last week, we started a message, a two-part message in John chapter 21, and we'll try to conclude that, that message today from this thought. We talked about failure on last week, and I want to speak to you today from this thought, and I would that you would carry that, this thought with you throughout the rest of this message. What Christ does with failure. What does our Savior do 
when we fail. Ushers, please readjust yourselves and take your seats and thank you for your ministry. We appreciate you so much. I think sometimes we need to know what happens when we fail. What does Christ do with that which literally disappoints him? Beloved, my confession to you today and it's been as we go through this message is, I am not moved by what I see or by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. I believe that the word of God, the vic that victory is mine. I have it right now. I, I, I hear the words of a song that we used to sing uh, in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. I don't know when we sung the song, but we would sing it. Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now, the victory is ours. I have it now. I can see it through my eyes of faith. I'm believing God for him to do more than I ever thought possible. I want to start this message off today with a little poem, if you don't mind. The title of the poem is not original. It didn't come from me. The title of the poem is, and God said, if. Hopefully, it will set the scene for the message for today. The poem goes something like this. If you never felt pain, then would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call your yourself an overcomer. If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you were never in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you were never broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If, you, if, you, if I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? This, is a, this sermon is all about failure. So shocking. We keep, we've been talking about this failure for over 2,500 years. There are only two parts to Peter's story. His threefold denial the night Jesus was arrested and how Jesus forgave and restored him. The first part depends wholly on Peter. The second part depends wholly on Jesus. Peter was in charge of his own failure. 
Christ took charge of restoring him. Behind this story lies a wonderful, liberating, hope-filled truth. Failure in events, no matter what you have tried to put together, it is very well possible you will fail. But we that love God must know that failure is not our destiny. Beloved, that's good news. Because there is not one of you looking at me right now that has not experienced the heartache of failure. But because of grace, you're able to stand and do it over and over again. That's good news. For some of you that have not experienced failure, to understand that when it does come, and it will come, that there is a resting place even when you have not done what you set out to do. And if we're honest, and one of our things I think that the church, we don't do well, we don't let folks know that we have not always had it together. Beloved, you guys have not always been preachers. The people that sung behind us today, they've not always sung the praises to God. The truth of the matter, there were some places you used to be on Sunday morning rather than in church. But God, through all of our trials, through all of our situations, through all of our tribulations, he's always given us a way back to him. As Peter's story so abundantly proves, it's not our initial failure that ruins us. It's what happens next that matters. If you don't mind, if I could just bother you for a second, just touch about two people and tell them this. It's not what you did. It's how you recover from what you did. See, failure doesn't mean you've blown everything. Doesn't mean that everything at all is over. It means there's some hard lessons you've got to learn. That means there's some things that you've got to learn through a difficult situation. The problem is, it's when we don't learn from the struggle. Every day we go through ups and downs. But somehow, beloved, I believe we ought to be getting smarter. You need to remind yourself that you, there are no, that you are not, and that there are not any permanent losers. Just because we lost today, don't mean the game's over. That's why I love baseball. Because when you play baseball, you got to get 27 outs. You may have me down to my 26th out, and I'm on my second strike, and I just got one strike left. But, beloved, here's what I stopped by to tell you. It ain't over. Right. 
because I can just as easily hit a home run with one strike left as I could in the beginning of the game. There are no permanent losers in Christ. It doesn't mean, beloved, that no matter how difficult it is, no matter how dark the night might be, no matter how bad the stain is, dark the stain, that saw me in nature, long the distance that he fell, far removed from hope in heaven, into deep despair in hell. But there was a fountain open, ah, and the blood of God's own son purifies and reaches, you know the rest of the story, deeper than the stain has gone. Somebody ought to praise the Lord for full salvation. It means I never have to give up. Uh, but here's the key. You've got to look to God for the next step. Oh, y'all miss me. See, rather than depending upon you, you've got to look to God for the next step. Because you ought to realize that the first step and the second step and the third step already got me in this mess. And beloved, I need to tell somebody something this morning. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God hadn't abandoned you. God hadn't abandoned you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. But right, just because you feel like giving up right now, I need you to know I ain't no give up in our God. God has not. Uh, and here's what I want to tell you. He will not abandon you. Can you just do me a favor in your notes on your iPad and your, in, in somewhere, put, it, put, put this in it. God knows the plans that he has for you. And God's plan is better than your plan. God knows. You know what I've discovered? What the devil wants to do is to keep you bound up thinking because I fail, I can never recover. He wants you to keep thinking that it's over. But can I share something with you? Jesus is just waiting on you to come home. Matter of fact, he's been standing down there on the street corner looking for you. The father, he's got a fatty calf already laid up for you. And listen to me. Only those of us who have failed greatly, who has got a, a failing mark in everything we try. Only those of us that have not accomplished, we've fallen short of the glory of God can truly appreciate Peter's story. See, the book says, those of us that's been forgiven much, we ought to love much. I was going to ask this question, but I'm going to leave it alone, but I'm going to get to the deep portion of this question. Anybody here ever failed at anything? Now, I, I, I mean, just failed in some small stuff. 
Have you ever lied when the truth would have been just as sufficient? Have you ever lied to make you look better than you really deserve to be? Uh, well, if you've done that, this story is for you. <laughs> oh, let me change that. That story is for us. Or uh, this story is for us. I told you on last week, it's hard when you've hurt someone you love deeply. We want to know, they want to know, if you still love them. Have you ever blown it? Come on, men, have you ever, I know it's Father's Day, but have you ever blown it? At least two people in here today are honest. But you know one of the hardest things to deal with after you've blown it is the interrogation that you get when you come back to ask somebody, oh, I'm the only somebody? I'm the only somebody that's been interrogated? Well, let me see if I can get you familiar with the interrogation. How, if you love me, could you have done that in the first place? in the world were you thinking about? What possessed your rabid mind to think you could do that anyway? But the problem is this. Those questions are going to be asked. But the problem is somebody got to answer another side of the interrogation that goes on, those are the questions that are not asked by the party that's been hurt. Those are the questions that you ask yourself. Can I, will they ever forgive me? Will I ever be restored back to right, right relationship? How can I forgive myself? I never thought in a hundred years I would have done that. Peter never thought in the upper room that he would have denied Christ. Peter never, knew never thought he would have cussed and said he did not know the man. As long as Peter lived, he would have never concluded in himself that he would have done such a thing. Peter. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that we try to act like, but if you've ever hurt somebody, you know what else is true? You never forget. The person you hurt may never forget, but if you love that person, you never forget. You never forget the disappointment when you, you see in their eyes. You never, dis you never forget the distance that is now between you and your loved one. 
as long as Peter lived, he never forgot that terrible night. I told you guys this during vacation Bible school. Tradition has it and says, it's not Bible, it's tradition, that Peter would wake up at night, the hour when the rooster crowed and told it on him, that he would wake up at night at that hour and pray, God forgive me, because he never forgot the night he denied his Christ. How does Jesus restore his fallen disciples? I believe today the answer comes in five stages. I'm going to try to share them with you. Are you interested? Number one, he sent for Peter. I told you that on last week. When the women arrived at the tomb early on Sunday morning and the angels announced the good news and instructed them to go, tell his disciples and Peter, Mark 16, 7, what does that mean? His disciples and Peter. Peter's denial has separated him from the other disciples. No doubt he wandered off by himself. What am I now? Am I a traitor or am I a disciple? Peter filled in the upper room, but Jesus sends for him. Just a few hours earlier, Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. John 13, 8. And then he later bragged about his courage. He bragged that if everyone else deserts you, Jesus, I will never desert you. How wrong he was. Under pressure, the apostle, the bold apostle, the big bad apostle, the bragging apostle, turned into butter. Legs trembled like jello. Peter has failed like Micaiah, but Jesus sent for him. Peter meant well, but his frugal attempts to protect Jesus accomplished nothing. You remember, he pulled out his sword. Jesus says, Peter, I didn't come to die in a knife fight. I came to do my father's will. Peter may have failed in the courtyard, but guess what? Jesus sends for him. Are you one of those men who are with Jesus? Jesus, I don't know him. Didn't I see you with his disciples? I told you, I don't know the man. Aren't you a follower of Jesus of Nazareth? He began to swear. He began to cuss only like a sailor could cuss. I tell you, I don't know the man. And in the distance, in the distance, the rooster begins to crow. Moments later, Jesus was brought out from his trial before the high priest Caiaphas. Luke 20, 22, 61 says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. 
That's when the full impact of sin hit him. Don't you know that sometimes you can do some stuff and you're good with it until you get it in the company of some folks and you're trying to hide what uh, y'all ain't trying to give me. You were good with it when you did it. But when you get it in the, in the front of folks, you, you, you got to try to hide. And then they begin to talk about exactly what you just got through doing. And you walk one time, do they know? Why are they talking about me? Don't judge me. After all of that, the risen Christ sins for him. He doesn't put him in, in the category of the biggest loser. Jesus just simply has a plan for Peter. He plans to give him hope, to give him future, to give him another chance. Beloved, when you failed, remember God does not put you in the category of the biggest loser. He puts you in the category of I died for you. My blood works for you. And so not only did he send for Peter, secondly, he met, hear me now, he met with Peter. Y'all miss me. Not only did he send for him, he met with him. Isn't that good to know that God will meet with you even in your failure? Here's my question, beloved. Where did Peter go after he denied Christ? The answer is we don't know for certain because the Bible doesn't tell us. But we can surmise that Peter did what most of us do when we are blown in a, in, in a big time way, when we made a huge mistake. The last thing we want to do is to be around other folks. Especially the ones who know us best and love us the most. Having just let them down, we don't want them to see us at all. Sin separates us. Sin separates us from God. And not only does it separate us from God, it separates us from God's people. Sin isolates us. So that the devil can convince us that having just made the be real big stupid mistake that no one wants to be around us. So we spend hours in our miserable prison that have been self-imposed. We say isolated and solitary of our own mind, confined by our own thoughts. I think that what that's what happened to Peter. On that weekend, whatever he was, he must have felt alone in the world. The last thing we are told is that Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him. And the Bible says Peter wept bitterly. We're not told where Peter was during the crucifixion on Friday or even during the burial later that afternoon. 
I, only, I can only surmise that he had retreated to some lonely spot there to continue to replay in his mind his failure over and over again. That awful moment just kept being replayed in his mind over and over again. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever beat yourself up about something? rather than taking it to Jesus. And you beat yourself up over and over again. Why? Comes to mind. Why did I do that? What made, th what made me think I was so much better than the others? How could I have been so stupid? What does Jesus think of me now? Well, beloved, we find the answer to the last question in the fact that Jesus made a special appearance to Peter sometime Easter Sunday morning. We don't know where or when precisely, nor do we know how long the meeting lasted. But twice in the New Testament mentions that the meeting took place. Luke 24, 34 says, it is true. The Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, 5 says, he was risen on the third day according to the scripture and appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. I'm especially heartened that Jesus met Peter before he met the rest of the disciples. Aren't you glad about that? Jesus not only sent for Peter, he goes to meet Peter. Him before he meets with everybody else. Aren't you glad that God will meet with you before you get to meet with everybody else? In your own prayer closet, God will meet you. Peter denied Christ. Things must be settled first. Listen, before you can come sing in the choir, before you can preach another sermon, before you can pray another prayer, before you can give another dollar, if you wronged it, your meeting ought to be with the person you wronged. Isn't it good to know that before God ever put Peter in the front of the disciples, he'd already met with Peter. He'd already talked with Peter. He already had reassured Peter that things were all right with him. Christ comes after Peter, and he doesn't wait for him to make the first move. Beloved, if you feel that tug on your heart, don't say something is bothering me. It is the Spirit of God calling you. Thirdly, not only did he meet with Peter, but he comes now to challenge him. He has a challenge for Peter. That brings us to John 21. It is the evening on the Sea of Galilee. Not long after resurrection, Peter and six other disciples had spent the night fishing and end up catching nothing. And in the morning, a man calls from the shore, telling them to put their nets on the other side of the boat, and they will catch fish. They end up with so many fish that they can't haul the net in because it is so full. When he realized the man is Jesus, Peter impossibly jumps in. Doesn't even put on his swimming suit. He just jumps in the water and begins swimming towards shore. 
It turns out that Peter and the other disciples caught fish simply by obeying the words of Christ. If Christ was watching the disciples, I asked you last week, all night, why didn't he say something before? They fished all night long. Why didn't he speak up sooner? Why allow men to tour hours after hours and become frustrated in their efforts? The answer is simply this. They needed to fail. Failure in this case was a necessary prerequisite to eventual success. If you just got to do it all the time, sometimes God got to let you drop on your face. If the unidentified man had spoken sooner, they would have dollars had rejected his advice. What can he tell us? We're fishermen. We've been fishing this lake all our lives. He can't tell us nothing. We know where to find fish. We spent years on this lake. But, let the, but he let the night pass and the sun come up. And they are ready at last to listen to the voice of Christ. Sometimes God lets you cry all night long. He'll let you stay up all night long before he interjects to tell you what you really stand in need of. Well, God, we could have had this conversation at 11.30 instead of 6.30. Lord, the Lord allows us to fail in our own strength so that we may learn that only his power will ever succeed. Microsoft's founder, Bill Gates, makes this statement. I thought it was profound. He says, success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they cannot lose. The disciples needed to fail so that they could learn to depend on Christ for their victories, Sometimes, beloved, it is the shameful failure for us to finally wake up and see that we need Christ. When we read John 21, verses 1 through 14, we should connect in our minds with Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep and let down his nets for a catch. Despite his doubt, Peter followed Christ's command, and he ends up catching so many fish, they fill two boats. So now we have full circle. We've come full circle. The question is the same on both occasions. Peter, will you obey me even when it makes no sense? Unity, will we obey Christ even when it doesn't make common sense to us? It is the same question that the Lord asked, that he asked of Peter, that he asked of us every day. Will we obey even when we think we have a better way? Will we obey even when the way forward seems unclear? Will we obey when our instincts tell us to do something else? Will we obey? When we have failed on our own, will we? The book says to obey is better than to make sacrifice. Beloved, my question for you today, 
Will you obey? That brings me to my fourth point as I try to hasten to the close of this message. Not only does he meet with Peter, not only does he come and meet with him, not only does he challenge him, not only does he come and share what he would want him to do even after great failure, the question then has become, he sent for him. Beloved, my question to you tonight, has God sent for you? Will you obey him after he sent for you, after you've had great failure? Well, if you do, I got good news for you. If you will obey him, why don't you look at somebody else and say, if you obey him, he will reinstate you. God has a way of reinstating you. After breakfast was over, Peter and Jesus walked together. This is the part of the story we know the best. Peter and Jesus engaged in conversation around a charcoal fire. Verse 9 tells us that. That's a particular Greek word used for charcoal fire is only used in one other place in the Bible. One other place in the New Testament. It's found in John 18, 18. It refers to the charcoal fire in the coal yard where Peter denied the Lord. By one fire, he says, I don't know him. By another fire, he says, Lord, you know I love you. By one charcoal fire, he denies Christ. By one charcoal fire, he's restored by Christ. Several questions come to mind as we read this passage. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? The answer, as I told you on last week, because Peter denied him three times. Why, did he, why does he do this in public? Because Peter denied him in public. Beloved, I need to tell you something. Just as the other disciples needed to hear Peter openly declare his love for Christ, somebody needs to hear you say, I love Jesus. Somebody needs to hear you say, I've sinned and I've sinned against him alone. Public confession is good for you, beloved. Peter, because without hearing those words, doubt would have lingered on forever and forever. The man who had been so boastful, so sure of himself, so confident of his courage, now is thoroughly humbled. He's humbled by the first question. Do you love me more than these? It was a subtle reminder of his previous boast to be more loyal than the other disciples. In his reply, in his reply Peter says he loves Christ. He declares his love for Christ, but he refuses to compare his love with anybody else's love. Before he failed, he was saying, I'm better than the others. In his reinstatement, he only says, I love you. It's not contingent upon what somebody else says. I'm never worried about what somebody else do. I love you. As painful 
as this was, it was absolutely necessary. Jesus is cleansing the wound, though it may be properly healed. He's getting rid of Peter's guilt. He's getting rid of Peter's shame and dealing with it publicly and openly for everybody to see that knows that Jesus is the hand of restoration. Consider what Jesus does not do. He does not try to make Peter feel guilty. He does not humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask him, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't make him promise to be better and never to do it again. He just asks one question. One simple question. Here it is, beloved, and I ask it to you today. Do you love me? Once we've heard that someone we love, or once we've hurt someone we love, it is hard to look them in the face. It is hard to still be questioned about our love commitment to them. I told you about the examination earlier. We won't go back through that. Peter needed to know. Beloved, if you hurt somebody, you can't take it light. You need to know the enormity of the pain you cause somebody else. All too often, we take it lightly. We, we try to gloss over it like it really didn't mean anything. But Jesus needed Peter to know the enormous size of the pain and the hurt. Not only did he cause Christ, but what he caused himself. Only then could he be truly restored. Without pain, he would not and could not get better. It is an old saying, I said this to you last week, but I'm going to say it again. The truth will set you free. But it's going to hurt you first. Often we don't get better because we don't want to face the hard truth about what we have said or about what we have done. But until we face the truth about ourselves, we can never be free. There are three qualifications for those of us who want to serve God, those of us that say we love God, those of us that say we love one another, there are three qualifications. I know that was four fingers. There are three qualifications that we must have to go forth in service to the Lord. Qualification number one, I guess you put them all at the same time. Qualification number one is that we love. The second qualification is love. The third qualification is that we love. First we love, then we serve. Second we love, then we speak. Third, we love, then we lead. First, we love, then we serve. See, you can't be up at the top of, uh, of, of things once you come in. You got to work your way back up to the top. You, 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 you just don't break your wife's heart and then want to be right back where you were. Even though she restores you, you ought to make some things. Things on You just ought not want to. Ah, oh, y'all don't hear me tonight. Secondly, we speak. How many of us have broken or hurt someone, and then we don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Every time I turn around, you want to talk about it. 
I don't want to talk about it. I asked you to forgive me. Wasn't that enough? At some point, beloved, you got to talk about it. Beloved, somebody's not going to get saved until you tell your testimony. Somebody needs to know that they got pregnant out of wedlock, but they still can make it because they were not the first and they will not be the last. Somebody needs to know they had a drug habit and God still redeemed drug addicts. You got to speak about it. Your marriage is not the first marriage that's been on the rocks, but God is a marriage counselor. Then we can leave. Then we can say, follow me. Then we can say, do as I do and as I say, not just what I say. Beloved, when Christ asked the question the third time, Peter's heart is grieved, and he breaks out, Lord, you know all things. With these words, Peter renounces all of his self-confidence. On that fateful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he didn't. Now he's not so sure. He doesn't even trust his own heart. Anybody been there? You couldn't lean on, even on yourself? Your heart deceived you? You know, you know what, what sin does? Sin never produces what it promised. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. It takes you further than you want to go. Beloved, sin makes you doubt yourself. He doesn't even trust his own heart. Instead, beloved, Peter has learned he's got the trust in the Lord. But, but, but Lord, how'd you get that? Listen to Peter's testimony. Lord, you know all things. This is a mighty step forward in Christianity. If we're going to grow, we've got to stop leaning to our own understanding. It is a great advantage to come to the place where you can say with strong conviction, my trust is in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Sometimes we've got to hit rock bottom and hit it hard before we can say those words. My trust is in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Well, here's my question. Did it work for Peter? Did that painful surgery produce the desired healing? Beloved, the answer to that question is an emphatic yes. Peter never denied Christ again. And just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, he was fully restored in the temple. Here's the thing that messed me up about the text. It was in the courtyard that Peter denied Christ. It was in the courtyard that Peter preached. And the Bible says that 5,000 souls, or 3,000 souls were added to the house that day. The old Peter was gone forever. The new man was born when Peter, when Jesus restored 
his fallen disciples. I get ready to go to my seat when I give you this fifth and final point. He re-enlisted him. Early church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Lord. John 21, 18 through 19. But you know what's amazing to me? I shared this with you last week. Jesus skips from this point all the way to Peter's death. Although he had failed in the past, here's what God says, in the end, you will glorify God in your death. In the upper room, Peter had rashly boasted that he was willing to follow Jesus to prison and to death. Luke twenty-two thirty-three. it's as if Jesus tells him, you're right about it. Oh, you're going to do that. You're not going to do it right now, but you're going to do it. Someday you will have the chance to keep your promise, Peter. And I know at that day, you will not, you shall not fail. The early church historians tells us that Peter lived and he died faithful to Jesus to the very end. So we come to the end of this message. My question is, what does Christ do with David? Here's my answer to you. He redeems it. Edwin Luther says, and I quote, God is able to forgive our past. Why can't we? He throws our sins into the depths of the sea, and he puts up a sign on the shore which reads, no fishing. Peter reminds us of, with surpassing interest that one day God hung a no fishing sign in the presence of our lives. Aren't you glad? You cannot even fish in that pond. But some of you can't move because you keep fishing in the wrong hole. Peter remains a figure of surpassing interest to us. We can't get enough of him. It may be possible that the reason we can't get enough of Peter is because when we see, we see him every, we see him every, we see him every morning when we look in the mirror. We love Peter because we can see ourselves in his story. In fact, his story is our story. For all of us, the process of Christian growth is long and painful and filled with many ups and downs. Peter, you know Peter. Peter the rock often seemed very unrock-like. It took his repeated failure. It took his repeated failure. It took his repeated failure. It took his repeated failure to come to the fact for him to say, Lord, you know all things. From beginning to the end, 
Jesus believed more in Peter than Peter believed in himself. So it would be for all of us. If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? The real hero of Peter's story isn't Peter. The real hero is Jesus. That's why John 21 is in the Bible. So that all of us Peter types would know that through failure, through falling again and again, but by God's grace, we can keep getting up again and again. Beloved, what mercy, what grace. If Peter, if he did it for Peter, he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Perhaps you have heard it said, you, you've heard old wise stories, but as I go to my seat, the old story says that when we get to heaven, there'll be a sign above heaven, and the sign will say, for sinners only. That's a legend, of course, because the Bible does not say such a thing. But it would be entirely appropriate. And in my imagining, I pictured another sign on the inside of the gate, one that read, by grace and grace alone. Those two statements tells us all who are going to heaven. Heaven is for sinners only. And you only can get in by grace and by grace alone. And finally, there is a long-standing legend that Peter will meet us at the gate. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really, to be truthful with you, I don't want to see Peter at the gate. I want to see my Redeemer at the gate. While there is no biblical proof of that, it would be appropriate for Peter to be there because Peter understands what it means to fail. Aren't you glad when you're around people that you know have fallen by the wayside and have been restored and they're not trying to hold it over your head but their arms are open wide and say, come on in. find your rest. Peter knows what it means to fail. Is there anyone here today that knows what it means to fail? I've got good news for you. God is still redeeming sinners. And he's redeeming sinners by grace and by grace alone. Beloved, if you're here today, I don't care what your condition might be. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care if you had the rooster crow. I don't care if you did whatever you did. I stand before you this morning to tell you that God's grace, it reaches from the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. Wherever you've been, wherever you're going through, our God says, come. For my grace is sufficient. I don't care what anybody else says about you. Here's what I want to say to you today. God's grace is enough. And I say like Peter as I go to my seat, God, 
you know all things. God has spoken. Let the church say. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.